Union Asylum movie review show. I am one of your hosts, Kane, and I'm here with this guy, Mike. How you doing, sir? How, How you doing, doing today, guy? You jumping you the doing? gun, man. You need to slow the, slow your roll there, man. You're not got to let the intro music kick in. <laughs> Some of the pump, pump the brakes. Trying to, trying to keep everything on target here. Yeah, on target. Hey, it's, we got a busy night. Guess what? We, the, the, somebody that's coming later on for one of our other shows, they can wait because, you know what, we've been waiting for them a while, too, so. Yeah, he just texted me, actually, uh, said he broke his phone. So he's going to run out and get another one. I'm like, you better get a damn phone. Somebody's yeah. He, needs, he needs to be using a computer, and not, the, not that phone. Remember what happened last time with that phone? Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll find out what happens. Yeah, so stay tuned for the next episode of Ham. Ham, <laughs> which will be coming out later on tonight. You guys will be joining us in the Nether Sphere. Actually, you'll probably be hearing that a week from now. Yeah. But um, before we do that, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this movie review, which is probably one of my favorites of all time. And actually, it was a coin flip between this movie and the other movie we're doing later, which could be a review, which could be a watch along. And it was a tough choice, but choices were made, and we decided to do so. Yeah, dec- were decisions because, were made at this point. So Yeah, and in hindsight, it's probably the right move. Because although it's a great movie to see, probably not the most entertaining to see, I guess, uh, as a word. I don't know. But uh, we were doing The Breakfast Club, 1985's Breakfast Club, guys. And um, Mike, I guess you have little things. You I mean, I, it's one of those ones, man. I got to tell you, it's it's great. I love watching this, rewatching this. This is one of those movies that sits in a lexicon and nobody thinks about the movie. It's just there in the lexicon. It's like, it, you know, we remember certain scenes from it. But actually taking your time and re-sitting down and re-watching this, and uh, I just forget how good the movie is. Like I said, mm-hmm. it's always in the back of my mind of what a great movie it is, but I don't remember a lot of the what made it really great. I know it's kind of one of those things because, like I said, it's it's just in the lexicon mm-hmm. of of you know of our life. You know, it's been around you know 1985. It's it's just one of those you know, great coming of age movies. A uh, little comedy, little drama. You know, John Hughes. Uh, you know, amazing and everything he's ever done. Uh, rest in peace. You know, he, he's he he is and was the our, our parent in the um, in the movie world. Really, I mean, he he raised us he all. He was the third parent of of you know <laughs> growing up with two parents. You know, if you guys are lucky to have that. Um, he was like our third parent. Yeah, that. I mean, you look at his his career. He made films that spoke to us about us. Yeah, that which is crazy because. It was a lot older than us, and he, he somehow he figured a way. I mean, he had great writers, obviously, that stuff, but he figured a way to tap into that mind of that era and make these incredible films. Not just this one, but so many other. But this one is probably this, like you just said, it's it's got to be right up there. I mean, you got to look. Look, he 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 did the vacation movies. He did Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful Plane, Trains and Automobile, Uncle Buck. I, it's really hard. Home Alone. I mean, you just look at the. It, it, you can't pick one out of his uh, out of his collection to say is the best. I don't think. No, but I, I think as far as like defining an era, you could say this one did. It's one of the ones that I did. Like I said, you got to throw sixteen candles into that. Mix. Throw, yeah, weird science. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, of Ferris those Bueller. ones did too. But this one was like you know the school experience for a lot of kids that time. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm one of them. You're one of them. My, my actually, my older brother's probably more. Not really. I mean, dude, I was only 10. You were only 10 when this came out. 11. Well, he, well I'm talking about him. He was still yeah. in high school. Yeah. So I think this movie spoke to him. This, I think, for us was more the soundtrack. I got to tell you. Yeah. yeah the, the soundtrack, soundtrack really hit me harder than the movie did. Not until later, you know, when I rewatched it later, probably when I was in high school. And that's when it really made a connection to me even more. I mean, my God, that song by Simple Minds still plays on the radio mm-hmm. today. So, yep. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, that is, I mean, that had 
people would say, well, they had a lot of better songs. Yes, but this is that was their Zenith Wasn't song. Even, no, no funny thing. We were going to talk about it in, a, in the, uh, the soundtrack section of this movie, but that wasn't even their song. That was written by somebody else. They were chosen to do it. They were, it was offered to other artists. It was offered to Billy Idol. To, and which, he, which he Billy actually later later yeah he later covered it yeah but yeah I'm just saying in, at the beginning it was uh, it was put in there uh, so yeah so we're gonna do 1985 uh, John Hughes this film is was selected to be preserved in the United States National Film Registry in, in Congress in 2016 so this film will definitely stand the test of time and be uh, found uh, the budget was a one million dollar budget. Box office broke at fifty one point five, and again we're talking you know wow. mid eighties, mid eighties, yeah, fifty one five, yep, fifty one, wow, yep. So I mean that's that's a big hit for them at that time, especially on a one million dollar budget. You mm-hmm. think of what this this film basically is filmed in one room. If you really want to get down to nuts and bolts of it, it's yeah, filmed 80, 80, 80, 85 percent of it, yeah, in one room. And that's amazing considering you, the, that budget and with the actors in this film too, who, you know, a lot of people would say, and actually a, a couple of them were interviewed over the years. They were like, yeah, this kind of was like the launching point for a lot of them. And they went on to do other things. Actually, a lot of them, I think, are still active to this day. But they, they said it like this was the beginning of something. And I think the um, the actors and actresses in this film, they formed like another kind of group outside of acting that they were called like mo- I think that the Rat Pack or something. No, no, they, they, were they, were, something. Hold on, they were called the Brat Pack. The Brat Pack. That's yeah, what they were called. Yeah. yeah. So that's well, not just them, but they were just the in that genre of the eighties that that uh, that generation. They they were called it. And it included Matthew Matthew Broderick. It included Charlie Sheen. It included all the all the sit all the people that were in their age bracket of that time. There was that group mm-hmm. that that fell under there. So yeah, and a lot of them John Hughes directed, which is kind of like it's eerie. You know, he direct, I don't think he directed Demi Moore though. Demi Moore was part of that group as well, but. Well, I tell you what, we're going to go ahead and play the trailer so everybody gets fresh. Um, I didn't do the original trailer. I did a, a newer version of it. it. It's a little bit cleaner. The original, I could never find a good, clean version of the original one, so I didn't think we wanted to listen to that. But no. here we go for the trailer. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain. A beauty. A jock, a rebel, and a recluse. Can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. <coughs> Chicks cannot hold a smoke. That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. They only met once. I don't want to be alone anymore. You don't have to be. But it changed their lives forever. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? Universal Pictures presents Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy in a John Hughes film. Why are you being so nice to me? Because you're letting me... The Breakfast Club. Well, that was interesting. Um, I forgot about that that trailer. Um, I kept thinking of the other one. Well, there, there's like a two and a half find. minute long one that I, I kind of I was looking at, but I was like, but like I said, the sound quality was just like ass on that one, so I didn't even want to bother with it. Well, this one works. 
Oh, where are you now? <laughs> Just Guys, if you, if you're, not, you're not seeing this. We're not recording on video, but uh, Mike here is playing with his new toy, the little green screen. So it looks, it's adding a visual aspect to the show. You guys can check out probably <laughs> when you watch the main show, which is it's really cool. This background is really cool. I'm so jealous that. I just literally ordered a cheap one off eBay right now. <laughs> yeah, that I, I knew you would. Once I set it up, I was like, oh, yeah, Kane's going to order one right away. Oh, it's, it's funny. Every time Mike has something, I, I turn into like the little kid. I'm like, man, I got to have it too. And li- literally, that's how everything in this room almost was built like the, the P4, the mic, and um, the mic. And the but anyway. So, uh, so, yeah, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, rundown yeah. of the movie. Uh, and the movie starts off with a quote, a quote from Mr. David Bowie. All these children that you split or spit on. Let me try that one more time. And these children that you spit on as they try to change the words, worlds are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what you're what they're doing, though. David Bowie. That was actually a quote from the uh, song Changes and uh, from his uh, 1971 Hunky Dory album. And that quote Great was album. actually added because of Ali Sheedy. She suggested the quote to John Hughes, who liked it so much that he included it in the opening. And uh, probably probably one of the worst scenes of the whole movie is the glass shattering scene. Oh, man. <laughs> he even makes a comment about there's a, a scene later on where he uses the glass shattering scene. And he says that his bi- that was his biggest mistake he felt in the movie was using. I think it was uh, when they were uh, later on, they're, they're, you know, they're token it away. And he uses that scene, uh, that glass shattering scene again. He thought that was the worst thing he could have done. Yeah, it wasn't you know not not one of the favorite ones in the movie. You know, yeah. my favorite one was yeah. when um excuse me when the Emilio Estevez character is basically being Doctor Two. He's like, what what am I doing in detention? He's like the big jock guy, and and then she he gets together with Sheedy, which was actually kind of interesting. And no, no, she got together with. So, well, summer down, dude. You're jumping ahead. Hold on. Now. I'm, I'm like, Let's I'm work like our so way through. Excited. You need I'm, to I'm, slow down. I told you, so pump your brakes early. Pump your brakes. We're not in a rush, man. We're going to get there. So what we do is the movie starts off after that quote. We start on Saturday, March 24th, 1984. Five students at a fictional Shermer High School, which is on Shermer Road, which is a main thoroughfare through Glenview, Illinois, in Chicago's north suburbs, which is where – he, uh, John Hughes based a lot of his movies off of. Uh, you'll see Shermer in um, Ferris Bueller, I believe it was I think also you see in Pretty Pink. Pink. Yeah, I, th- I think it was no, no, I don't think it was. I think it was uh, Sixteen Candles, not, not in Pretty Pink. Oh, okay, right. I know. Um, you so yeah, that. so he he uses this area a lot in his movies, which is great. Yeah, it's um, that's basically like in was the uh, Home Alone movie. That house was on that Shermer Street, I believe, yep. as well. That yeah, big street. So, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's the main backdrop. And he used that throughout his entire films, which is kind of a nice little thread that John did. So. Kind of a, 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 a Hughes verse in a way. Hughes verse, yes. Hughes verse. The, so Hughes created his own yeah. universe before Marvel did. Yeah, there, so. there, yeah there's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Kevin Kevin from Home Alone was a, was a Iron Man since he had <laughs> all the gadgets. In a, in a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so we basically everybody is to report at 7 a.m. for an all-day detention. Each comes from different cliques. Uh, Claire, a snobbish, extremely popular beauty who is played by Molly Ringwald, plays Claire uh, Standish. Molly's been in God, I, I mean, a few of the movies we've already named, you know, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles. She had a very short run uh, sitcom called Molly. I actually was it when I lived in Hollywood. I actually went to a couple of the the tapings of the show and it's to watch that. It wasn't a bad show. Just, you know, just, yeah, it just was it was what it was, you know, nothing. It was what it was. Yeah, nothing special. Uh, then we have Brian Johnson, an intelligent uh, brainiac, plays by uh, Mr. Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, and uh, Michael Hall actually 
yeah, in the scene when we're introduced to him and his mother's talking to him about, you know, you need to straighten up and, you know, get fly straight young man. And the little girl who's playing his sister says, oh, yeah, that was actually his mother and sister. Oh, was it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. They, they put him, uh, put, put them in there. It was, uh, it was uh, Mercedes Hall and his younger sister, uh, Mary Kristen. And uh, they, yeah, they played the mother and daughter in the movie, which I thought was good. But what better way to get that reaction from an actor to have his mother? Than have his real mom. <laughs> his real mom to chastise him right there. <laughs> uh, then we're introduced to also to Andrew Clark, a jock on the wrestling team, Emilio Estevez. Uh, and um, and uh, Emilio was originally going to play Bender. Uh, however, John Hughes could not find someone to play Andrew, so Estevez agreed to play him instead. So that's so that was a little twist. I don't. I know. Emilio, I know Emilio's a great actor. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he could have been Bender, man. Yeah, something about. Yeah, just something about something about Nelson and it, it, how he projects that. It just it's Estevez is too clean cut. I think Estevez would have forced it, and Judd didn't. That's, I think that's the biggest difference I would see. But we're Just now more. we're also looking at that, you know, hindsight twenty twenty. We're so used to seeing seeing Emilio in that type of role, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe him he could have done it, and he could have had a completely different career. Maybe you know we mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have seen him in the Mighty Ducks as a, you know, a former athlete if he hadn't played Quack Quack Man Quack Quack um, Mighty Ducks the reunion on Disney Plus. Guys, check it out. Have not seen that <laughs> yet. It's actually not bad. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, then next we are introduced to John Bender, a punk rebel, Judd Nelson, um, who uh, who falls under the criminal title. Uh, Judd Nelson stayed off character when he was uh, there, even bullying Molly Ringwald. John Hughes nearly fired him over this. But Paul Gleason, who played uh, Vice Principal Vernon, actually defended Nelson, saying that he was a good actor and he was trying to get into the character. He is a good actor. Yeah, but, good. but to do Nobody. that, to carry that over, you know, guess what? Uh uh, who was it? Um, uh, shoot, Joker. <laughs> the, oh, the most recent uh, Joker. No, oh, uh, Jared Leto. 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 Yeah. yeah, Leto. He, you know, he he was, you know, he did that. That, you know, people are like, oh my god, you're doing, you're staying in character like that. That's well, that's what good actors do. They try to capture that personality. You got to keep it, you know, as far as long as you can, as long as the shoot is going on. Because sometimes you could lose that character midway through the shoot. So when people tell me that, oh, they're just trying to stay in character, what a pompous jackass. I disagree. I mean, to, to stay in that one mode for a while, and you might forget it. You might wait. I, I, I did this in this scene, and now the character's totally different. So I understand that. So good for Judd. Yeah, and then we're also introduced to Allison Reynolds, an outcast uh, with unusual behavior, played by Ali Sheedy. Uh, Ali Sheedy had actually first auditioned for the part of Samantha Baker on Sixteen Candles in 1984, which went to Molly Ringwald, but. Uh, when she auditioned, she had two black eyes from a uh, a set building accident. I guess from Ooh. another another thing. So the the black eyes in her had to kind of gave her the start goth, goth image, goth which which kind of stayed with Hughes's mind. So when he was uh, auditioning, you know, play, or planning or casting for that role, he just automatically thought of her called Sheedy. Good actress, man. I think she's. I don't know what she's doing lately, but um, I think she's almost. She almost her sixties now. I think yeah, all, yeah, you got to you got to realize most of them. Actually, I think she was one of the younger ones because I think it was Judd. And holy crap, she was in X Men Apocalypse. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, as a Scots teacher. Wow, there's a cameo for you. Yeah, that's uh, that was one of her last movie credits. Was uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I thought I had the age bracket because I, I thought I, yeah, I thought I added it into my list, but I, maybe I didn't. The, the, there was there was a, like some of them were in their six in their teenages, 
Mm. And I think two of them were in like their mid 20s. So maybe it was Sheedy and, J- and Nelson were in their t- mid 20s. And the others were like 16, 17 years old. Yeah. Basically the age of the so they are gathered at the school library where Vice Principal uh, Richard Vernon, Paul Gleason, uh, as Vice Principal, well, Vernon, actually, I've already said that. Then uh, they talk to, you know, talk to moving, move their seats or, or sleep until, you know, the release at 4 p.m. He assigns them a thousand word essay in which they must describe who they think they are. And he leaves occasionally returning to check in on them. Now, the beginning of how I was describing each character being introduced, there was a, 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 a a voiceover going on. I'm going to play that for you guys right now because it's sort of the idea of the script or of the of the essay he wants them to write. Saturday, March 24th, 1984. Shermer High School, Shermer, Illinois. 60062. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. What we did was wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. What do you care? And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. You see us as a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Correct. That's the way we saw each other at seven o'clock this morning. We were brainwashed. Great speech, man. What a speech! Yeah, and, and, it, and that basically that speech sets up the whole thing because as the speech is going on, we're being introduced to everybody that I just went went through, and you can see their their interaction with their parents, and you can kind of see sort of the baggage that they're having. That they bring into this room to be what each pe- person is supposed to be: the athlete, the princess, the criminal, the basket case. And you see them all now have their their levels and their and their barriers put up. And you know, and it's it's something we all go through. I mean, it's that's why I think it's one of the better coming of age stories in the eighties. Uh, if you look at it, when they literally walk into that room, they're one type of person, like you just said. You know, they're identified as a jock. Yeah. And during the, the course of this film, slowly but surely, those barriers are being broken down little by little by little. And then you actually see who they really are. And I think that's the whole point of the movie. You walk in one as one person, leave as an entirely different person, and right. you're better for it, too. And, and, is, and, we'll, yeah, and we'll find that out towards the end. Now, one of the great parts about that speech, and then I can hear you hum, humbling, humming in the background, so I had to mute you. <laughs> because you were, you were, Sorry, uh, I, I didn't mean to. Uh, but it's the soundtrack. I mean, the soundtrack is one of those. We, Kane and I always talk about the soundtrack, how we miss that aspect of movies. Having that amazing soundtrack that not only do I have to go see the movie. I have to buy the soundtrack, or I have to yeah. download the soundtrack, or stream it. Don't get those anymore, and this is one of those ones. You know, you get, you know, don't forget about you, or, or you know, don't you forget about me. I remember as a kid that was like, you remember? I know this is cheesy as shit, and you're going to laugh at me, and I'm sure everybody else is going to you know laugh and make comments on the post, but I that was one of those ones. I, I always loved adding to the the tape to send to a girl. Yeah, you know? I'm not, I'm not going to make money. I do the same thing. <laughs> That soundtrack was one of them. I actually chose a um, one of the songs. The soundtrack was a uh, a Wang Chung song. <laughs> it was a fire in Twilight. 
I think I sent that to a girl too. I'm like, yeah, as I feel, and you know, of course, I got nothing out of it. But hey, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, but you have. I mean, it's just it's just a great soundtrack, and you hear it throughout the music. You're through, throughout the movie. You see scenes where they're dancing. They have a dance montage. Uh, actually, they're, during the dance montage, it's funny as they wanted um, Molly Ringwald to dance, and they just wanted to catch her dancing. Mm-hmm. And she thought she was a terrible dancer. So they're like, well, okay, well, we're going to do a montage where everybody dances. So then you're not going to look so silly. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, she felt bad afterwards. She's like, I really should have just done what I, you know, what I should have done. I don't know. I, I, that scene was fun, though, when they're all dancing. I kind of dug it. I mean, I, to see her dance. I think she ended up dancing alone, didn't she? She ended um, up dancing on top of, like, the, the, the staircase. Like, there's a okay, little part that's of the thing. Yeah. I know she ended up dancing alone in some part of it. Yeah. Now the cool. the theme song you were just talking about, "Don't You Forget About Me," was originally written for the film by Keith Forsey. Uh, it was number one hit for Simple Minds and Billy Idol and Brian Ferry uh, turned down the offer. So Billy Idol and uh, Brian Ferry turned down the uh, the yeah, offer. Um, I'll tell you what, I could see Billy singing it, which I have, of course, Simple. But yeah, man, Brian Ferry singing that song. Don't do, actually wait a minute. Actually, you know, I yeah. can see it now. Yep. I take that entirely uh, back. So Billy did, like you said earlier, Billy finally did back in 2001. He recorded it on a bonus uh, track for his Greatest Hits album. The song was also turned down, and I think this would have been an interesting one. This song was actually turned down by Christy Hine and the Pretenders. Really? Which I, that's, uh, yeah. That's, ooh. Can yeah. you imagine if she ended up singing that song that's, over him? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because... <laughs> If you guys don't know, Reginus history, Chrissy and the lead singer of Superbines, they ended up getting married and had a couple of kids. And I think they met on tour or something like that. But yeah, well, that, that's what she did. She turned it down and, and said and then ended up, you know, saying, hey, why don't you send it to my husband's band? Is what she did. That's how it got over to Simple Minds. And so, but yeah, I, I thought that was a very interesting kind of. That is a nice like to hear, di- hear Chrissy do that would have been like really cool. I wish they, I wish he would at least like done a cover of it or something. I wonder if she did do a couple. I wonder if she's ever done. Hey, you, you can check check on YouTube when we're done, guys, and, and see if you can find it. Post it up on a post it up on know, a Facebook page because that would be I don't fun know if to watch. Like the hate or animosity towards them, but I'm just wondering if she did ever cover that song. Well, it's just a fun song. You just, just I know. I'm just don't say it's fun. I don't think it's going to be like, hey, I hate you, bastard. But I, I'm I just be interested if she did. I don't know. That's a little. But I'm sorry. That's okay. No, that's that's yeah. That's why I wanted to talk about the soundtrack because you know it's definitely something that I think uh, is lacking in today's. You know, well, movie like you environment right there in, in, the, in the scene it's like that is the song but it's it's an instrumental and it's and it's like tuned down a little bit and it's playing in the background and it's cool and I think a, a lot of movies don't do that anymore which kind of pisses me off that basically soundtracks like you said used to be a character in the film now for some reason and I don't know why they've kind of just taken that character away it doesn't, eh, it doesn't mean nothing yeah. anymore like and I and I get it. Maybe the, the times have changed. Yes, we download everything now. Everything streams. But, but still, still, so you shouldn't create a soundtrack weird. and download it. That, let it yeah. be a bulk download. I just yeah. I mean that doesn't make any sense. And then you can introduce new artists on there too. Like hey, they got this song. Where would you hear from? All the blah 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 soundtrack. What I th- what I think huh. they do nowadays is is they do these slower versions of the, these breathier versions of eighty songs. That's like the new trend. They do like these really female song breathy versions of like you know and I'm like okay that's i like the the idea but it's kind of overdone now yeah it's it's way overdone like there's too many 80s songs we covered and i'm like okay guys well it's, not, it's great to, it's great to cover an 80s song but don't do the breathy version i just that that just the first time, couple times i heard it, i was like oh man that's a cool cool thing but now i'm like all right man that's over we're over killing it here hmm so let's so we'll go back to the movie. So John, uh, who uh, anta- who is a very antagonistic, has a very antagonistic relationship with Vernon, ignores the rules and riles up the other students. Uh, John spends most of his time bullying and harassing Claire. 
uh, hitting on her, making you know little you know snide comments. Uh, he starts going after Andrew, uh, you know, making comments about you know Mister the Jock dude, and they they even go throw down to uh, you know to start fighting. Uh, he even like makes fun of Brian, calling him you know little square boy, and you know goes through his lunch. He's like the heel man throughout this first couple acts. Man. Yeah, he's he like is finally everybody up. Man, he's like, hey man, you suck. Well, you're, he, he's pointing pointing on everyone else's deficiencies. Well, I'm not looking at his. But right. When you get to his. Well, you don't have to because he knows his. That's the thing. I think what he he's not really a heel. He's actually just uh, just antagonizing because he knows his deficiencies. He know he himself very upfront when he makes a comment. He's like, "Well, this is what happens when you spill, you know, paint in the garage in my house." You know. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he, he, he makes right. yeah he makes that whole he does that whole scene where um where Andrew calls him out saying, "Oh, you're bullshit. That's not how your house. That's not how your family life is." And he's like, "Oh, really?" You know, because he makes a makes a comment about you know, pretending he's his mom and his dad, and yeah, it's uh yeah there's a there, there's definitely no I don't think he's he's not a hiding from his he's I think he's trying to call everybody else's bullshit out. That's how I took his character. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, so eventually, um, they all eventually kind of admire John after seeing how he interacts with you know the abusive adults like Vernon. Uh, they start kind of looking up to him. You do see, uh, you see Andrew sort of like warming up to him. You see Claire kind of like softening up to him, and you see Brian kind of you know trying to impress him with his lame ass stories. Yeah. Um, and then of course we get to the. I think one of the cooler scenes is when him and Vernon go back and forth. You got one. You got one week. You got two weeks. How many? Would, and he ends up getting like an eight weeks worth of. Uh, oh yeah, he's season. like eight weeks. No, you. And he spreads out a bunch of like that. Whatever, like nine. And like you, you want to go for twelve? Like that's a freaking awesome. Yeah, so. yeah, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and, you, that, and that's when you start looking at uh, Vernon and seeing kind of his. You start seeing like we're, we're not just talking about the kids. We're actually looking at him as well. At him as being an adult. This is a most people look at this as a coming of age story for kids, but it's really sort of a coming of age story in a coming to terms with where, where you are in your life as a, an adult. When you That's see when you later on see the scene with him and the janitor chilling out, having a beer, you know, in in, in, in one of the one of the back offices, they you start seeing this sort of, you know, who, who are you trying to impress? You know, he, this, the janitor's kind of talking to talking to Vernon. Like, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, it's always the the people of the like the maintenance industry who like mm-hmm. break people down to the higher authority. It's it's like, hey man, like, he's like, yeah, he's always spilling his guts. Like, I don't think he told him exactly what was going on in his life, but I think you could just play kind of like devil's advocate and just think like, mm, maybe things are in his life are not so rosy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, that's why I was saying it's more of an adult coming of age too, because he's at the point in his life that he thinks he should be somewhere, he should be higher up, he's better than these guys, and really, like that, that janitor makes a comment even to the kids. He goes, "I'm the eyes and ears of this school. I see what you guys put in your in the garbage can. I read all your letters. I even know what's in your locker." And you see that's John right, turn to him like, "What?" Yeah, that's that's you know? <laughs> so you find you know you find out that that uh that you know that, that he knows a little bit more, and he and he's more the 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 soul of the of the movie he's kind of like the the, the wise man of the movie that like he uh, he's like hey that's why he's calling Vernon out you know in that scene he's like hey you're are you sure you're you're not you're trying to impress me or them who, who are you trying to impress yeah he's calling out his bullshit that's what he's trying he's doing and you even, you even see a connection with um uh, not Andrew Brian and the janitor I know they make a comment about him being his dad but his dad actually picks him up at the end of the movie and it's not him I thought it was his dad for the yeah. longest time yeah. too I was like that is his father no but it's one of those oh, it's one it, of those yeah. things when you, it's like one of those subtle things that Brian is probably so like chilled out and laid back he knows everybody in the school you know he's buddy buddies with everybody even the janitor oh 
So, so eventually, uh, the, uh, John and Vernon get into it to where the, to the point where John um, or John gets put into a storage closet, and you know, and, and at that point, he uh, be- proceeds to escape, and uh, and he runs through, uh, starts going through the, the through the ceiling and, and telling a dirty joke, which I I still I meant to look up what the end of the dirty joke was, where I guess a uh, where, where a blonde lady and a poodle come walking into a bar, and he puts the lady puts the poodle down on the on the top of the bar, the bar and, and, the, they, and the blonde lady says, bam, crashes through the ceiling. So I never got to see or hear the end of it. Yeah. So at that point he comes down and they, and they decide, Hey, you know what? We're going to, uh, or actually no, when he, when he makes that big noise, Vernon comes running back into the library and you know, they're all and that. They all defend John. They don't call him out. They don't go, Oh no, it's John. He's, he's hiding underneath the table. They actually cover for him, which is kind of like a, a surprise. That's when you start seeing, this relationship happening between them. Yeah, it, it starts to take that turn. They're like, wait a minute, maybe this guy's not as bad as we think he is. Yeah, uh, he, he hides under the table. Um, he actually tries to tries to uh, go up um, <laughs> Claire's pants and, or dress. And, <laughs> and, so, and then at that point, they all go with him. They break out of the library and just start wandering around the school. They need to go to his locker where he picks up some, uh, some of the marijuana. So the manager wanted Mary Jane. Yeah, and uh, so to he decides to help them out by breaking them apart. He you know gives uh, the gives the weed to Brian, and he basically tries to cause a distraction for you know against Vernon, so that way he can let the the kids get back to the library without them getting in trouble. Again, not only them defending him, him defending you know kind of so you're starting to see this relationship building up and slowly mm-hmm. opening up. Uh, so he gets put back into the closet again and then, of course, makes his way back there. So the students then pass the time by talking, arguing at, at one point, uh, smoking marijuana. Uh, the scene where they are lit, sitting there smoking in the stories that they're telling, that scene, uh, the scene uh, is actually uh, where they're telling the stories. Writer and director John Hughes actually told them all to ad lib. That was all ad lib when they were sitting in, the, in, the, uh, in that circle talking. It's some of the best parts of music when you ad lib it, mm-hmm. and I, I, I can, I can really see them ad libbing that because I don't think that was definitely something in the script. It can't be because that's it, it went like just so fluid. I'm like, wow. Yeah, they just you know they're telling stories about their their own personal life and things that they did or things that they've experienced. Uh, each character then at this point, this is where they go back on to script, but they each confess to why they are in detention. Uh, and Andy taped another uh, another weaker kid's butt together using athletic tape because he felt that he hadn't cut loose on anyone in high school like his uh, domineering father had. So, again, you start seeing seeing that side of it. He's got this domineering father that uh, uh, the character even makes the comment. He's like, I'm I'm an athlete and I don't I don't even have to try to do it. It's I just that's just what they train me to do. And that's just what I am. And it's, you can kind of see that he doesn't even care about it. It's no. just he's going through the motions and just doing what his dad says for him to do. Yeah, the the, the parents were invisible until like the end of the movie are a character in this film because they're the biggest influence on the kids and of the way they do things. Like we, we talked about Bender and everyone else, but like like you pointed out with Emilio Estevez's character, like he's an athlete, he's good at it, yeah, but he doesn't really want to do it. It's not where his heart lies. It's no. kind of like one of those things, like hey, my dad, this is the way my dad brought me up, so I got to do it. Yeah, yeah, and um, and you see that actually, you see that when you, if you go back to the beginning of the movie, the them getting dropped off is like I said before, you see that baggage happening. You see Bender not showing up with anybody; he just comes in because his parents don't give two craps about him. You see Emilio's dad, like you just described, you know, giving him a hard time. You see Molly Ringwald's dad being very 
you know, hey, no, when you get done, we'll go shopping. We'll we'll take care of this. Don't worry. You know, you've been, you know, pampering her, and you come to find out problems with her her, her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you see you see Brian, his mother, you know, chewing him out. The one I thought was so interesting, and it's it's a very, and I'm sure he did this on purpose, was the shooting when uh, Allison, Ali Sheedy's character, shows up. You see her sitting in the back seat, not in the front seat with her parents. She seat. gets out. You can't even see her parents. You don't. The, don't the, the, you, they they are just it. figures in a in the car, and I don't even know if it's two people or one pe- person. Oh, you don't even see them. And to me, that that when I saw that scene today, I was like, man, that explains everything about her. That literally, that's what her parents are: are just these shadowy figures that are just there. They don't there, yeah. they don't even have a definition to to her. That's interesting. I never thought about that. It's very it's very uh very artistic way of looking at it. But it's true though. But I'm yeah, because like, I was like, we skipped. I gotta to, look back at that scene because I. I I thought we did get a glimpse of them, but no. You saw a you saw a silhouette of somebody in the car. It, it was a one of these gray town car looking things. She was in the back seat, got out. She closed the door. She stood there for a second. Then she went to go lean forward to look into the passenger seat, and the car just just took off. Almost hmm. almost screeched its tires taking off. But you didn't see a figure when she got picked up. You didn't see a figure in there either. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, like I said, if you you can see the the parents on there, Bender not having his parents, Allie's not having. Even a, a parental figure is there, but you don't have a definition of who they are. Uh, so when we find out that Brian left a left a flare gun in the in his locker and it went off accidentally, destroying a, a, a ceramic elephant lamp he had made into shop class, uh, Vernon um, sub, sub, uh, subsequently found the flare gun. Claire skipped school to go shopping with her friends, and then Bender uh, pulled a false alarm. And Allison admitted that she did nothing. Yet showed up anyways for the lack of anything better to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> no friend. What a better way to find friends. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Uh, Claire gives uh, Allison a makeover at some point where you know she you know, brings her off to the side because they've all sort of started kind of you know getting friendships together. Uh, in fact, they have a, a very poignant moment in that in that group just you know, after they've been you know smoking up and having some pretty emotional scenes they actually the one i think one of the most important scenes i think in the whole movie is come monday what will we be oh yeah yeah i mean are i we, think are we gonna be isn't that um what's his name says it uh, uh well brian says it and anthony says, michael yeah. Oh, yeah he's he makes that comment and then you know uh that's when you get a really like they really start lashing out at each other the claire's like oh sure yeah we'll say hi to each other and bender's like no you won't you won't say hi to me She's like, you know, we and I walking down the hall, we, we wouldn't say hi. No, because you and I will never walk down the hall together. My, wow. and, and she even calls him out on his bullshit. She's like, you're, you're that way because you don't, you won't, your friends won't accept me. She's like, and he's like, you don't even talk about my friends. You don't know them. Don't even bring them up. Damn. Yeah, she's a, she, she's a strong character in that movie as well. She, she fights back. Which I dig, and that's what I think why they ended up getting together at the end of the film, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, so as the tension, uh, well, sorry, like I was saying, Claire uh, gives Allison a makeover, which sparks romantic interest from Andrew, which we kind of saw that because honestly, when you're seeing them together, you're seeing that he is just as alone in his Actually, life as she hmm. is. And she even makes a comment that I don't want to be alone. And he's like, well, you're not. Uh, Claire decides to get her, uh, break her pristine, innocent appearance by kissing John, uh, making the comment, you know, he asks, well, why'd you do this? She's like, well, you would never do that, which, you know, it's, it's kind of true. You know, he's oh, yeah. in his area. He's like, well, no, I wouldn't take that chance. And he's right, too, which is kind of crazy. Like we all, us and, you know, being high school kids like we were, we could never see and I could never see interest in, in women, maybe even today. Like, uh, uh, what? What do you mean? Uh, 
And that's why sometimes the woman has to be a little bit lower. Like, hey, you know what? I'm going to do it because you're not going to do it. Yeah, no, you're, uh, yeah, you and I are kind of the same way in that. I, what is, we're literally two pieces of the I will tell you the one thing that's so different about me. My my high school girlfriend, I, I dated through high school, outside, you know, after high school. We, we were dating probably, God, five years, six years, I think. Um, <laughs> she actually, she piqued my interest. I was just walking through through the hall with my friends or with one of my friends. And and she just literally jumped out. And this is probably probably going to explain a lot once I say this to, to to the rest of my life. She literally jumped out in front of me, screamed in my face, didn't say anything, just went, ah, and kept walking. <laughs> that explains a lot. And I was like, what the <laughs> hell was that? And who that was that? Lame. And I lot. had to, and I had to figure out who I had to find out who she was. I was like, what, what kind of woman would do that or what kind of girl would do that? And uh, I found out, you know, one of my other friends, she lived two houses down from her, him. And um, so I did what would consider what would, which would be considered stalking today. But it was romantic back then. Oh, oh boy. What, did you I, look up her address in the phone book? Or no, something? no, I know who I knew where she lived. She lived two houses down from my friend. And I was because oh. I asked him, I go, who was it? He goes, oh, that's one of my neighbors. I go, oh, OK. So what I did, I picked up a dozen roses. Left a note, said, "Hey, I, we go to school together." You yelled at me in the middle of the of, of the of you know or the hall. Um, here's my phone number. If you'd like to talk and go have dinner, here. And I just because we didn't have any other way, of, you know, there was no social media or anything. So I dropped that off, and a couple of days later, she called. She's like, "Hey, hey, hey, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to meet you at least, you know, and, and talk to you." And then uh, I knew where she worked because I'd ran into her before, you know, from where she worked. So I went went into her work. I bought something, and I was like, "Hey, did you like the flowers?" By the way, so she could finally put a face. And she's like, "Oh my god!" And so then yeah. at that point, yeah, then we were like again after that we were you know you know connected at the hip for you know six years. But yeah, it's one of those yeah it's one of those things. You you have those those moments where you're like you just sometimes step out of yourself. Yeah, and and, you. I, I I also have a flower story too, but mine's did not end very good. I uh, it was uh, <laughs> and, and, end up getting it back rectally. No, he, yeah. Here's what happened. They, uh, I had a friend. We had mutual friends, and this girl was interested in me. And I, again, I didn't know, but uh, we started talking. And then, like the friend of the friend told me, he's like, you know what, you should do good. You should go, you know, give her flowers. Like put her in the car, be, you know, on her windshield. And she told me where she lived, and just leave a note on there saying, hey, you know, whatever, blah blah blah. Same so like, yeah, that's kind of same I, I did. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Like, exact same thing. Like, that's a good idea. So I went there before I went home uh, from work that night. I put the flowers in there, like a dozen roses with a card that says, I look forward to getting to know you. That's all I did. Right. The next day I was like, cause I didn't hear from her or anybody else. And then I heard this great. I was like, Oh, she hated it. I'm like, what? I was just shocked. Like why? She's like, Oh, well it's just like, Oh, but didn't give me a reason. And apparently like, I guess I found the great She didn't like flowers. I'm like, what girl doesn't like flowers or the gesture? Yeah, You're gonna get yeah. crazy on that, and then after that, I just didn't—I yeah. lost my interest in yeah. that. You know. No, again, yeah, like I said, yeah. In in retrospect, nowadays, yeah, that can can be considered creepy. But back then, she felt it was romantic that you know, because mm. so, again, there's no social media, there was no other way, there was no email. There was literally, hey, you know, I got him. I have to meet you somehow, and this is how it works, you know. And, well, at least it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah, for for a while. I mean, it wasn't a, a you know, we weren't angry people. I mean. We actually, I think after we both got married, we ran into each other, stopped by a bar and had a, had a drink just to, you know, catch up. Because, I mean, we had, like I said, six years of our lives, you know, growing up. We knew a lot. Yeah, I think that's a big chunk of your guys' lives. So yeah, especially so. then, you know. And then um, I, I, ran, I ran into her mother every once in a while. So, 
to see, you know, just catch up. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, so eventually, where were we at? Um, skip school. Uh, oh, okay. Ali, she got the makeover. Yeah, got the makeover, and... Um, John uh, Bender kisses, what's her name? Molly Ringwald. So, uh, so then at that point, I would kind of talk about, you know, although they suspect their new relationship will end along with their detention, they also believe that their mutual experiences will change the way they look at their peers, which is kind of goes back to that, that talk they had in the circle. Mm-hmm. As the tension nears the end, uh, the group uh, requests that Brian complete the essay for everyone uh, because they honestly believe he's the smartest one that can eloquently pl- put it out there. And uh, John returns to his storage unit, uh, closet to full Vernon, into thinking he never left. Uh, Brian leaves the essay in the library for uh, Vernon to read after they leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the students part ways, Allison and Andrew kiss, so do Claire and John. Uh, Allison rips off the uh, diamond or, or rips off the state championship patch uh, off his jacket to keep because, of course, she was a klepto because she even <laughs> she even sold Bender's uh, switchblade earlier. <laughs> uh, and Claire gives uh, John one of her diamond earrings, which he then wears. Uh, Vernon reads the essay. Now, here's the essay that was left. We heard the beginning part. Now, this is the actual essay. Now, listen to the change. It's almost the same essay, but listen to the verbal change at the end. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong, but we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are, and you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case, a princess and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. So at the end, it's that we are a princess. We are the be- so the beginning. He was saying that that you see us as an individual, one being this, one being that, and at the end they're saying that we are we, all these. Yeah, we are yeah. all these things. So Vernon, like I said, Vernon reads the essay in which you know uh, Brian states that Vernon has already judged who they are by using stereotypes. That Vernon uh, is crazy if he thinks that uh, the, they'll uh, tell him who they are. Brian accordingly states each one of us is, like I just said, it was a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Does that answer your question? And, of course, I love you know, the way it simply answers. Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And the uh, last thing we see is John raising his hand at while he crosses the empty football field, a classic scene. And if you guys go over the internet and look up Sherman High School, you will find hundreds of pictures of people, people in the middle they of the-, the Like, Yeah! But fun little movie. Wrap it up. I uh, I, I dig it. Yeah, I, this is one of these movies that never gets boring. Never gets stopped. no. And again, like I said, it's one of those ones that I for I forget to watch. I know it's a classic, but when you actually sit down and watch, you get into that seeing that. And again, it's one of those stories that just never changes. This story can still exist today in Hollywood. I am not saying that you must remake it. It's been done. Re-release it. Yeah, why not? Maybe put some HD or 4K quality on. I don't know if they, they've, they've done that. I mean, just yeah. last year they they you know they celebrated the 35th anniversary of it. You know, just just re-release it out to the theaters and let it let it breathe for what it is. You know that that it re- does still represent people today, not just children, but adults. And and you know, uh, I think one of the best lines in there is that you know they were all sitting there in the circle. You know, God, are we going to be our parents? 
And I think that that rings true to everybody today. Are we going to turn into our parents, you know, to, in, 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 uh, in, in our attitude, in our behavior? So, yeah, it's it, it, like I said, it's the beginning of this. I said it was a coming of age story, which it is. And but there's a lot of things to factor in there. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit that. Smack it um, around. Tell yeah, us who's tell who's boss. But the vice president, or the vice president, vice principal <laughs> on the law, I had Jack spoke up, I think. Um, I didn't realize that he had stuff going on. So everybody in this movie had stuff going on when they came in. Like, literally, you're walking into this facility. You're walking in there, and they had baggage. And they walked out. Not as much baggage. That's what I would say. I think that the vice principal was the one that held on to his because he still had to put out that face towards them, you know, like, like they had the conversation with the janitor and the janitor said, like, Hey man, what are you doing? What are you trying to prove? He didn't let that go, but they did. They let all that go and they became something else when they left detention, they became something more, which is going to quote some movies or superhero movies, but they came together and that's interesting. And um, it's a movie that should never be remade. I don't think you could capture that. Yeah, no, you couldn't. Yeah, you can never. Yeah, you can never recapture. I mean, I think you could in a way, but I, why even bother doing it when it's already been done properly? Yeah, but um, like I said, this is one of those films that never gets tiring for me. I can still watch it. I can't quote it like some people can, but in one, I will just watch it. Just yeah, to enjoy it. And the soundtrack, obviously. It's still playing on radios or streaming nowadays. Oh God, you know? yeah. I mean, I, it's it's one of the it's one of the ones I know uh, with our uh, at the at the Winchester. You know, we always uh, end up you know somebody will end up doing that, and I you know it's it became a staple for one of our good friends who passed away. That he would yeah. always sing it. You know, and that song still gets played today. Yep. And once in a while, we'll go up there and we rocking out some simple minds. So uh, that song is forever as this movie is, and I guess. Do a little grading, straight jacket wise. I'm gonna give it four out of five. Yeah, I will too. Yeah, four to five, man. I mean, not about not by all means a perfect movie, but just the sheer impact of it that yeah. it had on culture is just that alone. And the soundtrack, you might you put that on top. I mean, you you could literally grade the soundtrack as a four point five or five point five, depending on which you like music or not. But it's one of those things that I've always talked about how a music soundtrack and a movie fit together. Exactly. They, yeah, they make them, they, they they trump each other. They help each other out, and I think that's what's severely lacking in today's films is they don't have it. Like everything now is too individualistic, and that's what really bugs me. Like, oh yeah, the Miss movie's coming out. Oh, by the way, the soundtracks are coming out in three weeks. Oh, well, shouldn't it be part of the film? Like, shouldn't we be hearing some songs from it? But yeah, again. all right, guys. Well, make sure you do check us out on Heroes Asylum uh, Midnight Movies. And uh, make sure you do check us uh, check out uh, Kane's new show, Low Blows and Chair Shots. They're sitting at uh, episode eight right now for you wrestling fans out there. And uh, like I said, oh, here's Asylum Midnight Movies. We uh, Kane did last week the cocktail with Tom Cruise. And next uh, next week we're going to be doing a big show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be having some guests uh, for the Goonies to continue out the eighties. And I think we're closing out the eighties with what were we going to close out the eighties with? Uh... Were we doing? Were we doing? Uh, I got it. I got it right here. Hold on. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's okay. No, I, I, I dropped it on you too quick. Uh, we are closing it out with Real Genius. Real Genius. Real Genius. Yeah, which I watched today. I did watch that today. I was getting myself in the eighties. Going to be flipping fantastic. Yeah. I think the captain and I might get talked about this movie ad nauseum before the Heroes of Asylum. Yeah. That's one of the things we bonded over. It's like, man, you like Real Genius? Like, dude, me too. Can't. Go. Oh my god, I can't wait. All right, guys. Well, make sure we do see you guys next time.
And Kane, what yes. else you got? Uh, Twitter at the Heroes Asylum underscore Asylum. Uh, Instagram at the Heroes Asylum. Check us out. Check out Low Blows and Chair Shots episode eight. And Heroes Asylum, we got some movies coming up. And by the way, from Mike to me to you to everybody else, don't you forget about me. 